Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our Game Changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. Hey, this is Mac. Checking game cameras is one of the many pleasures I get from gamekeeping. OnX helps keep track of my camera locations to be sure I'm getting the information that I need to make the best decisions for the wildlife. Try it out for yourself and see. Use coupon code MOSSYOAK to save 20% on your OnX subscriptions. Know where you stand. Hi, I'm Jeff Foxworthy and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. All right. All right. Let's key it up, boys. And three, two, one. All right, everybody. Well, welcome once again to the Mossy Oak Gamekeeper Studio here in West Point, Mississippi. I'm looking around the room. We got an empty chair, but Toxie's on his way in here. And I'm yeah. looking at Lanny. We got Dudley. And then we got old, uh, Richard Davenport. Yeah, on we the are board. live without Mac Mac. Yes, we are. He's out there getting, uh, I think, doing some field preparations. Here. I hope that's what he's doing. Yeah. yeah sure. I think he'd rather, you want him here, don't you? Well, I, I can tell by the tone of your voice, you want him in here. Uh, well, we've had a busy day. We've had a lot <laughs> yeah. going on. You know? A lot going on. So, boy, I'm so tired of it raining. It's it's the it's the rainiest. Okay, I was talking. Remember Jonathan that used to work here a long time ago? He was telling me their average rainfall in South Mississippi, at the, the land he works at, yeah. 55 inches a year, and they're at 83 right now. Wow been wet that's for sure is this the same jonathan that used to crawl into beaver huts yes he's one of my favorite people jonathan shout ball. out to jonathan ball he is fearless yeah. anybody that would yeah. put a yeah. flashlight in their mouth and crawl into a beaver hut has my respect he'd come out there there's two in there <laughs> <laughs> one big and one little <laughs> i mean that is crazy he was a mess yeah well yeah but he's down there managing a big piece of property in south mississippi now yeah. Good, good for him. him. Well, yep. well, I mean, the way I, why I started this, I mean, every I'm hearing people that are like, man, we're ready. We've got seed bought. We're ready to plant and it won't stop raining. Yeah. I mean, we can't even bush hog around here. You know, so that's what we're trying to get to. But, you know, you know what was behind that rain last night? Nice little fall. Cool it does front. feel cool. It feels pretty good out there. Yeah. Everybody's calling, asking, like, hey, can I just throw my seed on the surface? I mean, uh, we can't even get a tractor in there. I, so, I never yeah. remember it being this wet. Uh-uh. It's crazy. So, well, anyway, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of things in life that I mean, there's there's people that are having droughts and they don't want to hear us talk about. So parts of the Midwest hadn't been getting. Oh yeah, right. so no. it, it goes along with farming. You know, the you never get enough or or you have too much. You know, it's just part of the farming for wildlife game, keeping life. Yeah, yeah, life's pretty good when you're having to complain about too much rain. Right. 
So yeah. I shouldn't be complaining. Well, yeah, I think the elk are – didn't they get a bunch of rain out west too? The elk are looking pretty big, at least the one in the front room up there is. You know, uh, so, yeah, that brings us to the blood on the biologics. Oh, did segment. I skip yeah. segments on you very, very yeah. quick? Yeah, come on in, Toxie. So, so we were just getting started here with the, <laughs> talking about blood on the biologics. Uh-oh, looks like we got some blood on looks the hands. Like we got blood on the biologics from uh, the farm. Uh-oh, uh-oh. no. <sighs> we, you got a, got, man, I'm going to tell you what, that's a need to hold your farm mind. bandage it, right there. There's, there's my blood on the biologics. <laughs> I see tape Be careful when you're paper towel. a seed open or... Actually, twice now in the last three days. I'm just actually looking for a place to happen. Plus, I'm on the blood thinner since I had COVID, and it doesn't clot fast. And that's a fine-looking homemade bandage. <laughs> I mean, I've been putting pressure on it. <laughs> Look at that thing. Yeah. I've been holding pressure on it like a wreck. You could be a nurse if you need it for to. almost an hour, and when I let go, just... Blood gushes everywhere. I don't believe how much I've bled. It's crazy. Do we need to call Dr. Ned in here to stitch you back in town? I've held pressure on it for so long, I finally, there's no like medical tape, but I took a paper towel and pressed the press and then wrapped it with some of that. it's like packing tape. Gorilla tape. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You look kind of pale. I'm a little worried you, you about do, you. You do. Should we get you? Should we, Richie? Could you just call and have somebody on standby no, here? No. We, get him out of there. I got. I got my doc on one eight hundred. Don't worry about me. He's back in town too. <clears throat> a couple things I have on one eight hundred: my wife, my parents, my biologic seed salesman here, yeah. and the. Uh, the guy who runs the co-op and my doctor. Yeah, there you go. Always. Well, that'll, that'll get them. Well, look, so we were just about to talk about blood on the biologic. There's been some, I've been seeing some elk killed. John, oh, I'm jealous. John yep. Paul, who was with us on the last podcast, yep. killed a, has killed several. Mm-hmm. Imagine so, that. Yeah, imagine that. So, uh, boy, he's having a tough time with it. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I know we can't say where, but KC Swain killed a big one out west somewhere. Yeah, yeah. No, he's uh, did some hunting, too. That's our... You know, dog trainer down there at the kennels, he knocked down a good one, too. And then uh, the guy was with him killed a, a big bull, too. So My happy. Yeah. Yeah, sure. yeah. yeah. And surprise, surprise, in the same category as Joe Paul, our own Ben Mackey, killed a giant elk. Oh, oh really? I really? I saw a picture yesterday. <laughs> um, he was just trying to stay out of the radar I've been, a yeah, little bit. He's, he's real good about that. He is. So, <laughs> like, when, you, when you get under those, like, John Paul is the king of surprise, surprise, and another big one goes down. I would put Ben right there next to him, close. I yeah. can't remember an elk season where Ben you, hadn't put it together somehow. Do you know any <laughs> details that you can share? Like it was Big. a bow kill, I saw. A bow kill, yeah. huge. I don't know. It was, yeah. I mean, I saw a picture of it. Mm-hmm. And I said, is it as huge as that? Is, or is that one of your famous pictures? He said, you heard my feelings saying that. I said, well, you're the best at it. It's a right. compliment. He said, it's huge. Yeah. So he was, in, he was out in Utah, his uh, close friend, Austin. Mm-hmm. Took him on a hunt. He had a place out there. So nice. Knowing him, he's probably got it all quartered up, and he's catching trout right now or something. You know, he's he's probably not sitting around anywhere. No. Well, good good for him. He, he he's a he, he's he lethal out west. Yeah. He really is. Uh, yeah, and there's somebody I wanted to mention. There's a. Uh, a guy named Dustin Wiseman, who works for Helena, who's helped us with some soils issues that we've been working on, has a daughter, nine years old, and she killed her first deer this past week with a crossbow. In wow, her. That's, now, that's awesome. Beautiful deer. She was so excited. Yeah, you can imagine like, being nine years old. So her name is Hadley. I wanted to make sure we mentioned her. So. Congrats, Hadley. I saw Cash got him a deer. Yes. Got a little dope. Cash Lindsay sure did. Yes, sir. That boy, he is a... 
He's a killer. He really is. So, <laughs> so look, I wanted to – I've got some facts. I was doing some reading over the weekend, and um, th- th- these aren't – I'm not trying to trip you all up. Don't get your guard, right. guard up. But uh, So I've got – I was reading an article about some of the average weights from different regions of the country of a mature whitetail buck, three and a half Oh, I thought you were going to say of a mature man, male. That was going to be Bobby. That would be <laughs> – no, that's not where I'm I'll going. I'll be better on does. So, I thought you were going to get on this overweight thing since you work out every day. No, I'm not not doing that at all. So, look, here's here's my here's where I wanted to go with this. So, this is live buck weights on a three and a half year or older buck. And so, in the southeast, would anybody care to venture what that average buck's going to weigh? Three to five year old. I buck. Think we yeah. should. Yeah. Guess. So it's so it's such a. I'll well, guess first. One eighty. Uh, that's a little high. Little, that's, just, that's, that's high. Yeah. One seventy. Now you're still a little high. Okay, who's next? Are we talking about pre-rut? A- average weight? No, well, no. It, it's a, I mean, it, it you, would be pre-rut. 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 Yeah. Three to five year old buck. Three and a half year old buck. Three and a half year or older. I don't know where. Three to five. Let me just go with this. Let me me just say that's like if you've ever seen the movie My Cousin Vinny. Oh, yeah. And they asked her about the the motor. And she said, that's a BS trick question. Bobby, the average weight of a three and a half year old deer inside the Mississippi River levee is like 240 pounds. Okay, I've got it the broken one, down. The ones on the coast near Biloxi are 120 pounds. Uh, yeah, I've got it broken down. So, that so that's a BS trick question when well, you said I, southeast. Now, okay, well, so the southeast on average is 158 pounds. But when you, and when you come to Mississippi, the average weight in Mississippi in the Mississippi Delta was 196. Mm-hmm. The average weight of a coastal plain deer was 154, bringing the a- state average to 182. What's Florida's though? Well, I, I well that it, means I, I was right. And it's completely subjective. I mean, you know, we're talking earlier, yeah, Doug, yeah. and I was like, what is good cover? I mean, it depends on where you are. Yeah, well, so. <laughs> what about the Ponderosa? Okay, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know about Ponderosa, that. Ponderosa, they're going to be about a buck 15. Northeast. <laughs> I don't know. It's Northeast. <laughs> Richie, please. <laughs> so what we should do is publish a map because somebody's got it. Mississippi State, Georgia, one of our great universities somewhere, has got average body weight of, of a three-and-a-half-year-old male deer by region, and then that would be meaningful. Or by deer density. I'd love to see that. You know, How about that? Yeah. Correlated. Okay, well, let me just read off that means That means intermittent. Everybody's so feisty today. Yeah, I mean, what, what did we eat yeah. for lunch? I think it's that fall, that north wind. So in the northeast, Mississippi, that, 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 that average weight of that three, at least a three-year-old buck is 183 pounds. In the state of Maine, the average weight is 197 pounds. Ah. It's the... It's, it's pretty amazing. So in the southeast now, we Alabama's weight was 160. It's right. less than Mississippi. Yes. Can you can anybody guess what the heaviest state was in the south? Uh, in the south. And it came in at 202 pounds. For a three? Are these SEC schools? What's the south? The south. I'm going to say Kentucky. Kentucky counts. Does Missouri count? No, Missouri does not count. Kentucky. Kentucky. Yeah, Kentucky was it. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. So then, then when we moved to the Midwest, the average weight was 215 pounds, but one state what, topped in at 250. Can Is this get, Missouri, Iowa, Nebraska, Kansas, Mink states? Yes, yeah, it's Midwest. Can It'll you, be biggest ag state, maybe Illinois or further north. Canada, that's the biggest state. No, no, I'm not. No. <laughs> 
Yeah, Canada's got it. Canada's got it. <laughs> Canada will be uh, my biggest state. I'm going to go with Wisco. Yeah. Now, Minnesota. Iowa. Iowa had two hundred fifty pounds. Yeah. Yep, yep, that makes sense. Yeah, Minnesota was two hundred twenty-five. Speaking pounds. of Iowa, aren't we talking to Mark today? And then Oklahoma drug in at one hundred seventy-five pounds. So, okay. anyway, I just thought that was interesting. It but is. obviously, I'm, it's been difficult to honestly. Explain the it's not hard <laughs> to figure out why everybody's going to be grumpy today. Plus, you're going to be talking to Mark and maybe Glenn. I don't know. And Talk people like that who have been killed. Everybody we talk to and everybody we've talked about has got the blood on the biologic. We do not. Yeah, you're right. So that tends to make us all a little bit. We have not even been out of the biologic office. No. <laughs> no. We've been selling biologic. Yeah, that's right. Okay, Lanny, but can you? Ty's turning. Am I not talking close enough to Mike? No, you're fine. Can okay. you? Uh, there's Mark's number right there. Can yeah, you go ahead and start yeah. dialing him up? And uh, Marcus Aurelius. And while we're waiting on Mark, I'm going to tell everybody the fall issues in the mail, guys. Man, what a good looking magazine. And it I is have a to good say one. so myself. So, I just got to say, I'm so proud that it's it's a labor of love of the entire team and the brand. People I'm looking at, other people here. Yep. And, I mean, we do have some others that we that contribute, but by and large, it is a gift from the heart of Mossy Oak itself. Yep. And not just some outsource. It comes straight from yeah, here. Yeah. I hope everybody appreciates that. It's us telling our thing. and Because uh, I, I am most grateful that we pull it off. It's a, yeah. it's a wonderful yeah. And this one is a couple of weeks late, but paper is hard to get paper right now. I oh, mean, it just we yeah. did, everything was turned in on time, but pay, I think everybody's kind of gotten accustomed to all this COVID weirdness with stuff. Yeah, I heard there's shortage on Christmas trees, shortage on turkeys for uh, Thanksgiving. Oh, Fed, FedEx yeah. just went up on all their rates. Yeah, Postal Service did too. So. All right, well, y'all be watching for it, and if you don't subscribe, you should you should think about it, or you can go to Bass Pro Shops, Walmart, Track Supply, and pick one up. So, all right, Lanny, you got Mark ready to dial? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Okay. There we go. Did you do that? <laughs> there we go. What? How did you cut your finger on a bat? Like a paper cut? Uh, this was on a grain buggy. Hey. Some stored grain in it. You might have to get a tetanus shot. Tetanus. Yes, sir. Hello, Mark Drury. How we doing? <laughs> there he is. Oh, gosh. <laughs> he loves that horn. Yeah, well, I, hey, I Mark, I'm sorry we're a little late calling you, but you, you know what I have to deal with down here every time. <laughs> what you have no to deal with. What, what we have to deal with, Mark. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How are you guys today? We're doing Good. great. Yeah. Hey, hey Lanny. What, yes, sir. We'll have no trouble getting Mark to team up with us picking on Bobby. So. No, no. Yeah, well. That's he okay. dishes out, but he takes it well, at least. Yeah. So, so. <laughs> um, I've got something to say about Bobby. Uh, Uh-oh. I've, I've been working here for 15 years. Uh-oh. Uh, Get it off your chest. Get it off your chest. And I've never, you know, Bobby's a model employee. Bust office on the couch. <laughs> I, I did. And, I sure uh, did. I took some funny pictures. Wow. Our internet went out went out yesterday, and there was nothing we could do, and it was raining, and it got quiet, and I we were all sitting out there on the couch. And the next thing I know, I was asleep. <laughs> Don't let Miss Cindy and HR find out. Oh my goodness, we got a lot of couches, up and we've there. got a little group text with uh, you know a lot some of the younger folks in the company, and uh, I posted it up on there, and we came up with a bunch of memes. Uh, with yeah. his, Did any of have to do with white socks? Bobby had, yeah, there was some white sock comments. <laughs> oh, Lord. Mark, let's get this thing back on track here. How, how's everything up there? How do your food plots look? 
You know, they look, they look really good in the state of Missouri because we put those in earlier because we deal with a September 15th opener. And we got some really timely rains right after those were planted. And then it got really dry for a long time. So those Iowa plots, which went, went in later, are not in the same shape the Missouri plots are. It's, it's a tale of two states and a tale of two planting dates. And we just didn't catch the rain. We went right at 25 days with zero rain. Wow. Uh, we just finally caught one here about two days ago with this cold front that went through. So now our replant is coming up. So we planted most of our Iowa, Iowa plots twice. Uh, we went back in with winter grass to try and get some green out there. But Missouri looks amazing, and, and Iowa will come along here in another week or two. That's a, that, You know, and we've been getting so much rain we're, down here, Mark. We're drowning here, literally. Oh, my goodness. We are so dry. It, you would not believe it here. It's like <laughs> a desert. But see, you need, you need the moisture because you've got up, upland hill country largely. We've got all these big flat drainages that are just, you know, and they're wonderful and beautiful and vivacious when, in dry weather. But when it's wet like this, I mean, we've had – uh, stuff we're going for wildlife in various forms. Underwater now four times, completely underwater mm-hmm. for days from a flood, four different times this summer. How many times you replanted the dark holes? I don't know. <laughs> so many you've forgotten. It's an times. unusual year, Mark. It, it really it is. is. I mean, there's a lot of... On top of the army worm infestation, so... Did that Did that affect that, you guys at all? Yes, we're, we're dealing with those right now, too. But we've sprayed... Uh, with the siege on every plot, and that, that has held them at bay thus far. It's doing really well, and I, I researched the, the best spray I could find, and my chemical guy was like, here's what you need, and uh, it'll give you 30 days protection. So thus far, he, he's exactly right. It's done pretty well for us because all my neighbor's plots are getting destroyed, and, and we're in good shape. So. Well, was it a applica- uh, application at planting or after it emerged? Oh, post-emergence for sure. Yeah, okay. What yeah. was it? Yeah. What was it? Intrepid. It's called the siege is the name the of it. Siege. It's the same chemical. Yeah. Okay. So well, bear product, I we think. Just, we just sprayed it at the rate they told me. Yep. And uh, it's working. He's, he works, he's out of southeast Missouri, and they have them. They deal with them often down there. And he was like, here's what you need. So he shipped it up, and we sprayed it, and it's working like a charm thus far. But it we've worked. got a very warm, warm forecast ahead of us, so we may have to reapply here and, and pretty quickly. It depends on how quickly you have to apply it because uh, those – I'm sure it's a growth regulator. And those are actually the safest. You, It's probably labeled for, like, grazing that day. Uh, they're very safe. But – the smaller the plant when you apply it and it absorbs it, it is diluted faster as that plant grows. So we deal with the millets every something. That's the favorite food of an army worm in the world. And the the longer you can let it go and not have to spray it, say if the plant's maybe already six inches tall, you're really covered for a, the good, th- even if it rains a bunch. But this, really the, the number of days are limited to how much it grows after you spray it. In other words, you know, you've saturated that plant at three inches, but by the time that three inch plant becomes a 12 inch plant, it's probably not just four times as much area, surface area, one, it's probably 10 times as much. And so it's diluted enough and then finally start eating. But you did the best thing by the type that you planted. And the other good thing is by 30 days, your crops will be so big that it will take them a lot longer to eat it down and you can find them and address it quicker. The scary thing around here is when they hit it, when it just pops right out of the ground, you can look at a beautiful stand of a food plot or duck food plot or anything one day, and two days later, it's completely gone. 
And it's really odd how, how late they are. I mean, I, normally September 1st hits and you they kind of just disappear. I, I'm having, I had somebody in northern Missouri call yesterday and say that he's having to redo all of his food plots because they're in the process of getting eaten. Yep, man. Oh, they're just, they're just hitting here. Like, I've not heard of a, of a one until the last seven days. And in, in the last week, I've heard of multiple plots that are just ruined and gone. Yep. So it's just, it's just now hitting us. That's insane. That is crazy. I've never heard of we had, marching that far. North. We had the entomologist from Mississippi State who's pretty well-known for his expertise on armyworms, and he gave us the situation for this year, and he said it was probably about the worst year they've seen. And that's actually two types of armyworms, and the, the corn armyworm is a lot harder to kill and evidently spreads a lot faster and further north, and I don't know which kind you have there. But um, he said that uh, they keep going north. It's like in the armyworms, however farther south they're pushed by cold weather in the winter and freezes, they'll hatch out, and then they march north, and they march north, and they march north. So they'll come through here, and they won't stay. They'll just keep going with, you know, we've had a couple storms blow them through, all the way up to your part of the world, but they'll keep going north as far as they can until cold weather gets them. They just they have that instinct, just go north, go north, go north. And my 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 guy told me that after their worm stage, that like three or four weeks, they turn into a moth, that's and right. it's actually they're airborne and go, and and that's how they're spreading. That's is right. Twenty day cycle, okay. twenty day cycles, and so that's what happens here. You'll see, just like my yard, for example. You've been in my yard before. And uh, I'll see like a brown spot down there, uh, like where the tents were when St. Francis got married, that part of the yard. Yeah. And then, you know, then it went away. Well, I had, what happened was, you know, I went for about 20 days or so and I didn't have any issues in my yard and all. And then just overnight, the whole place starts dying all and I got to get on it then and spray the whole yard or I'll lose it. You know, Paradise lives in Northern Ohio and it's been three weeks ago he said they wiped his whole yard out he didn't know what was going on and he's never had them they made it all the way to the great lakes that's crazy okay it's just unbelievable and you know it's like i had them like seven or eight years ago and then it's been that long since we've had them up here so i i don't i just don't get it you know like why it's so cyclical but it's probably i'm sure weather related we're hot and dry and it's just a, a horrible late summer for us, and and the forecast is not pleasant at all. It's very warm. I think these tropical, I think these tropical systems may have moved them further north than normal yeah. too. But uh, I predicted this what five weeks ago, six weeks ago, we had that. I told I sounded like a raven lunatic, and I was everybody out there. Your food plots that year, be prepared, be prepared, be prepared, because it's going to get you. This is going to be the year, and that's what I'm. And saying that, as as you know, Mark, it's like if you're not prepared, then by the time you you know get your spray rig, get everything together, talk to someone, figure out what to spray, and you know you a couple of days and you've lost everything. And so you really have to. For me, I've got a smaller dedicated tractor with a spray rig and everything ready to go. It's like my red alert deal and the chemical and everything you know ready on a minute's notice to to go get them because they'll literally when there's the food plots are really really small they'll wipe them out overnight and it honestly does not matter how big the food plot is that's what's crazy if it's one acre or ten acres they can still wipe out short stuff overnight Mm, answer answer me this if you've heard any of this like 
they're hitting a lot of the brassicas. They're really wiping clovers out and alfalfa, but they're not touching radish plots. Have you heard of that hmm. at, at all, Bobby? I think it's their last, uh, you know, in general, spiny. You know, the radish has a little hairy, spiny sure. feel to it. They don't seem to eat as quickly. I mean, for us, the first thing they'll eat over grasses or anything is uh, like uh, grain, cereal grains, like millets or wheats or oats, right out of the ground. They're, I mean, they'll vaporize them overnight. Then they'll certainly will wipe out brassicas. They actually don't normally eat clover as quickly, but again, when you have an outbreak of them and they start to hatch and eat up everything, they'll move on to the next, next best thing. And so I had them wipe out about a two acre, prettiest spot of clover you've ever seen right at our cabin here. And I was just showing it off to everybody. Look at the clover. It's just, I mean, it was lush and thick all the way into August and just such, it's, you know, such, you know about non-typical. It's such a great product, even for this far south. And Austin was actually here. And, I, you know, I wanted to brag to Austin, check it out while you're there. And he's like, he called me, hey, boss, ain't nothing but stem down here. You better come look. <laughs> and they, two days time, they wiped it out. Just oh gone. But I it say, rebounded. I will say, plug-in non-typical. I immediately ran to the tractor, put the formulation together, and sprayed it, even though you couldn't see anything but stems, literally nowhere. A little bit in the shade, if you notice deer and other things, it doesn't taste quite as good, I think, in the shade. But there's a little bit left there. But my point in, and we're, we're continuing to get rain, even though it's warm, and within two weeks, the entire plot sprouted completely back from the roots and is now lush again. Now, this is a pre-established plot. I mean, it's oh, yeah. It's a year old ago, already, and it's still the pretty system. awesome. But that non-typical that grew back like kudzu. It was amazing. I took pictures of it. Mm. That's awesome. Well, Mark, maybe, awesome. you, maybe your turkeys will eat some of those worms up there. <laughs> yeah, they love them. They're great for poults. I hope so. We had a hatch. I mean, we've got, we've got young turkeys this year, probably oh, the best awesome. in the last 10 years. I mean, there's quite a few baby turkeys around. So I'm a, I'm a happy boy when I see the pictures and all these these flocks wow. coming through. It. Oh, that's, that's a big deal. That's right. You get one shot a year at that. Hey, Mark, I know you. You know, I know you've got something to do. You're probably hunting this afternoon, and we we don't want to keep any longer. We have to, but we wanted to pick your brain and get you to kind of talk to us today about what goes through your mind when you're going to pick a spot to put a stand. And when I say a stand, you it could be a lock on or a ladder or a ground blind or or one, something else. But uh, we just kind of wanted to understand what goes through your mind when you're doing that. Well, much like anything I do, like I try to break down exactly when I'm going to hunt that stand. And generally, if, if we're putting a new spot in, a tree stand or a ground blind or, or a, a muddy bull, I'm trying to target a specific animal. So the first thing I'm going to do is go, okay, what time of the year am I going to hunt this particular area? And then I decide, okay, is it early season because this buck has a history of being here just for the food early season? Or is it during the rut when they're really moving in security cover and transitional zone? Or is it back to the late season when they're back on food up here so well? So for me, it comes down to timing. And if I'm after a particular deer, that especially in the early season, like we're in right now, like I'm going to be as close to cover as I dare get, but not in that bedroom. You know, like we, we work really hard on our TSI in the off seasons and warm season grasses. And we try to, you know, really designate where is the best bedding going to be during the early part of the season. And sometimes 
early season is so drastically different than late season up here because our temperatures are so different. Oftentimes in the late season, I'm focusing in on south-facing hillsides and beds that are going to be on south-facing hillsides with real good uh, thermal cover. During the early season, oftentimes we're killing deer that are coming out of a north phase. You know, it's the difference in, you know, 20s for highs versus 70s for highs. So that makes a big difference is when you're trying to target it. If it's the early season, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure I'm paying attention to where the shade's going to be first in the field. I'm generally on a food plot just off of cover. I'm going to make sure I know where that shade's going to be. I'm going to have a general idea of where the deer come out. And then I'm going to make sure I have a rock solid plan to get in and get out of that particular spot without boogering the deer and without defeating your purpose, if you will, because this early season hunting is so challenging. I mean, even with the best of weather, uh, one or two acorns dropping can delay that deer walking 100 yards from his bed out to the area you're trying, you're trying to kill him. And the reason I tuck up next to cover but don't penetrate that bedroom is because they're not far off that food. I mean, this is the time of year where cell cameras get so very important. If you can catch a decent-sized deer going to bed of a morning, say sometimes between 6 and 9 a.m., up here at least, you have a decent shot of going back in there and putting eyes on that deer if the weather's right and favorable for him to come out. Now, of course, that whole strategy changes as you get closer to the rut. As the acorns start to drop, all of a sudden you have to start pushing closer into the bedroom and uh, change your strategy just a little bit. But here during the early season, I'm right next to a bedroom and I'm somewhere shady uh, that they're coming generally to a non-typical clover field or, or white-tailed deer radishes. You know, I don't know that I've ever... Thought about that shade, like the way he just explained that, mm-hmm. and and it may be that something that you do it without really thinking about it. You just know to be in in, in that area, but uh, when you kind of go on autopilot when you're setting this stuff up, but but that's some, that's an interesting thought. That, yeah, I I would definitely concur with that for sure. It, I, you it know, is, it is gold up here. I mean, they follow that shade line all mm-hmm. the way out to the middle of the field. They just literally won't go into the sun up here, and I, I think. They're, they're just there was winter coats get on they're big heavy deer and they're just doing everything they can to stick to the, the coolest part of the field they can but shade's a big deal up here well if you think about it when you're walking around if you're in the edge of shade or sunlight you you, you step out in sunlight you can't see as good either 100 so i felt like they feel a little more secure and that they can see everything no matter what direction it's coming from if they see in a little bit of shade too but i he's right i've noticed that for a long time uh, that they would rather be, and they would not, they do not, you know, they avoid. It's just certain days they seem to discard that. Rarely. Those yeah. super high pressure days are about the only time I ever see them really walk out in bright sunlight. Mm-hmm. They will discard it on mm-hmm. super high pressure days, but oftentimes they'll be out there a little while and then they'll go back to the stage. Uh, absolutely. So it's interesting to watch their behavior. So I, I pay close attention to that because you're trying to get every minute you can on your side if you're trying to hunt a mature deer. Yes. And these, these five- and six-year-old bucks, they're just not likely to walk during daylight up here during the early season. Yeah. Uh, so I, I try to put everything I can to be an advantage for us if we are targeting a, a particular deer. But history always helps you make those decisions on where you need to be at what times of the year because they're very historically patternable if you keep good records from previous seasons. I am so obsessed with keeping every picture of every rack buck throughout the entire year. I, I have a catalog of pictures dating all the way wow. back to 2007 uh, of every single rack buck I've ever gotten a picture of. I have them all in a computer by year, by stand, by location. And I can go back and reference similar uh, weather trucks coming in or the same buck. 
and uh, I'm constantly looking at data to try and figure out when history might repeat itself. You're making me smile when I'm saying <laughs> yeah. that. Cause, you know, well, the, the point of it is not that he's just that good and that organized because he's actually like that about everything in life, just about especially business too. But you, you have to agree, Mark, you love the work of being organized on top of the fact that you know it's important, right? Oh, I mean, it's, um, I don't know, there's something fulfilling about figuring one out. Yes, if you will, abs- absolutely. Or figuring something out, right? Like yep. if that's the that's the wonder of what we do. Like what calling to a turkey, you know, well if it's, I do this and this tone all of a sudden they gobble, it's like immediate gratification. Gratification comes much slower in the whitetail world, but you still figured something out and that that is why we continue to go to go figure something out that day and to learn. And I mean that's the I think the basis of, of who we all are as people and hunters and gatherers, like you just want to learn, and it it just it just makes you so happy. They, you talk about you know when you go out in the woods and you go afield. I saw a meme on Instagram that said there's no such thing as being a, in a bad mood when you're in the woods, and and that's the truth. Like that's you're in a bad mood, no doubt about that. Go, go walk in the woods, and you're going to get happy really quick because you're learning, and it's so cool. Well, that's a good lesson. I mean, people. I've had so many people ask me because they know how far we go back. Whatever it is, thirty five. And by the way, I'm getting big trouble. As I mentioned this morning, I've had Bobby talk me into doing another podcast. Well, who is it? I said, Mark. And Miss D said, you tell him I said hello and I miss him. God, tell her I love her and I miss her too. So I, that will be for the public. I fulfilled my obligation there. But <laughs> to the what I, woman of the board. Yeah, back, got, off, got it off my chest. Um, the thing that, you know, because so many people have watched what they do and the success, and of course, you have to have the place. You have to have the management. You have to grow. You know, I used to say forever, you know, if, you, if he ain't there, you can't kill him. But the thing he just mentioned that everybody can learn from, he is always paying attention. He doesn't just go in and hunt and think about He's always paying attention. So after thousands and thousands of hunts over the years, he's got that catalog library. It's just, you know, subconscious that he thinks these things. So especially younger people that are hunting, they want to aspire to be, anywhere in the realm of this, just make yourself a note to always be paying attention to Mother Nature. Mm. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, Mark's, ma- you know, some people make mental notes, some people write it down. But, you know, if you can take a hundred acre chunk of woods and you can look at the aspect and you can look at the time of year, like Mark was talking about, you're immediately narrowing down those good spots mm-hmm. uh, from 100 acres to maybe 10 or 15 acres. Absolutely. And it kind of reminds me of identifying trees. When somebody calls and says, you know, they'll describe a tree to me. And the first thing I say is, you know, well, is it on the top of a hill or down at the bottom of a hill? And I'm, that's all I'm doing. It's just like detective work. You're, exactly. you're narrowing things down. Um, and it, 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 it makes a big it, difference. Luckily, they are historically predictable, and it's it's analytics. I, I talk about it with some of my baseball friends all the time. They break pitchers down, and they know what the, what count he's going to throw that slider in, and and the hitters are breaking down pitchers and vice versa. And it's the same thing with deer. Like if you study them close enough, you start to see little things that they do consistently. And we're always looking for consistency during daylight, which really narrows down how often they do it. But they will do it. For instance, for instance. I have a 180-inch 6x5 that I get pictures of. I have for three years in a row. I got pictures of him this morning on a cell cam coming to a non-typical clover field. He came September 22nd this morning. 
Last year, he showed up September the 24th. The previous year, he showed up September the 25th. And the year before that, he showed up September 22nd. He is within four days, uh, four years in a row of coming to that same Cloverfield. And I'm, I still haven't killed him, and I won't kill him this year because I already tagged out in Missouri. But I got those pictures this morning, and I just smiled when I saw him. I was like, there he is. And I won't get him again now till probably late rut. That's the next time he comes through that farm. That is he just crazy. Doesn't come, he just doesn't come there very often. But they're, they're extremely historical predictable. Hmm. You know what? And most people would never know that. It, it only takes it takes a mad scientist like Mark to have the cameras out there and know and be able to have that hey, data. What and did know. I say? He's always paying attention, and you can do it on whoever you are out there. You can do it on your place in your own way, in a different way than that. But if you if you do pay attention all the time and you do look at the pictures, and I guarantee you, there's something similar to Mark's story going on in your place. Hundred percent, hundred percent, no question. You start to see weather patterns that get them on there. Yes, I mean. It's why we did deer cast. Yes, know? that's why I was going to say I was fixing a pimp deer cast because it is the first thing ever that actually puts all that into consideration. And it is uh, obviously nothing's perfect, but it is by far the best tool out there. No question about it. Yeah. If you don't have it you and you're a deer hunter, yeah, that's a must. You got to get it. Yep, yep. So, so Mark, look, let me ask this. Uh, I, want, I want to learn, I want our listeners to learn from you. And, and over the years, I've noticed you've kind of made a transition to hunting in – these uh in some shooting houses and some that you've custom built or others that, that you've got some muddy the bull blinds all that but I, I wanted to ask is part of that you can get away with more in terms of a bad wind and then I also wanted to ask about how do you, when you're opening those windows do you is there do, do you have to wait and say okay we're gonna have to open this window at the last second because the scent's gonna pour that direction as soon as we do or are those kind of considerations going on there certainly uh it's to, in answer to your question it's twofold number one you know what our topography is like here it's very rolly and more often than not those deer are out on those tops once they go to feed and we, we do a lot in and around food plots and food sources in general so therefore the deer are always out on the hump, so I need to be out on the hump. And more often than not, there's not a tree suitable to hang in. So that's number one. Number two is scent mm-hmm. control. Uh, we are so fanatical about it. I mean, I was talking to Paradise this morning. He was like, "What do you? come on, bro. Tell me really about ozone. What do you think? I'm like, dude, I live by it. I eat, sleep, and breathe ozone. I mean, every day it's the scent-free shower. My clothes are already hammered with scent crusher. Then we go into the stand. I take ozone into the field with me. And we're in a blind, and if we can stand the temperatures, once the deer start moving, we oftentimes will close that blind up, and then I'm going to hit a little ozone inside the blind to try and keep our scent profile down, keep the windows closed. And if I get a wind speed under 10 mile an hour, I can fool just about 100% of them. We seldom get caught anymore with our regiment. I mean, seldom, if ever, do we get nailed for scent. Uh, but it does get tricky when you have to open a window, especially if you're in there on a marginal wind. I still hunt the area with the wind right because I want that when I do drop the windows, I want the advantage of the wind helping me. But uh, this time of year, it gets really tough because it's always such low wind speeds. And you know how it is, like when it gets below six, seven mile an hour, that, that wind tends to radiate and go in all different directions as opposed to the one it, it's supposed to go into. So it's really for two reasons, with set control and then getting out there with the deer are. Mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, it's funny. I I was just been amazed in the last what Mark probably five, six years, seven that it's evolved to hunting from big box bow hunting out of big box what we call shooting houses in the south. 
Uh, when you say maybe in the last six or seven years, that's evolved to be so much more. Oh, know. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You nailed the date. Yep. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. and it, that's important for us with the style we hunt in. Like, we're trying to go take advantage of a deer in a certain weather front or whatever, and we do not want to get identified as being in and around that food source because yeah. all of a sudden, if you go in there and muck it up three or four days in a row, all of a sudden your daylight activity is gone. So that's one of the reasons we don't want to be smelled, we don't want to be seen, and uh, it really does make a difference with the way we hunt. And we just don't go in our into our bedrooms very often until the rut. Then we'll we'll interrupt and we'll get into the cover, and and then the, it's a whole different ballgame once you get past October thirty first up in, up in this world. And I suspect for you guys down there, you know, be late November, early December when you start intruding a little bit more and. Then when you do bump one, it doesn't it doesn't mean as much to them because their uh, minds on something else. Right. But you know, we're generally we're generally tagged out before we get to the right here. Believe it or not, though, I mean it's uh it's just I, I credit a lot of it to the biologic and what we're planting now versus what we were planting say ten years ago. It is amazing how the palatability has increased with you guys constantly being um, unsatisfied with whatever you were planting and constantly going for more often sending me, you know, test radishes and sending test clovers and that type of stuff. Like that stuff to me is just fascinating. Non-typical clover and deer radishes. I mean, it's, it's unreal how deadly they are up yep. here for us. Uh, it's uh, un- those are my two favorites, to be yeah. honest with you. Yeah, they really are. Yep. Yeah. I've been hearing about this test radish. I'm ready to test some myself. <laughs> I've seen pictures of it. Awesome. Yeah, they're army worm resistant yeah. too. And just for the record, Dale, where you test it is really critical. Like you know, if you could test it with Mark, it would be a lot more important than testing it with Lanny or me. No question about <laughs> that. But that said, I mean, sometimes you test stuff and uh, the deer don't like it. It's true. And that's that why true. we. That's, that's why, why we tested. Was that, yep. that was that one variety of radish about three years ago that. We, you know, right. we each got our hands on a few pounds of it, and uh, they were it. beautiful plants. There's but a reason for that, because nothing ate them. Yep. But we tested alongside the one we're using, yep. and there was a clear difference. Yep. So, Mark, uh, look, you've been so kind to, to stay on here with us. Before you leave, we 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 wanted to ask you a trivia question. Oh, we know Lord. you're a St. Louis Cardinal <laughs> fan, and we want to find out how big a fan you are. Get your guard up. This is when he picks on his best buddies, Mark, so get, be prepared. Okay. All right. Are you ready? I'll, I'll try to do my best. I don't my mind <laughs> I'm not I'm, I'm he's tuned into deer not baseball right now okay well, sure. I, I, I can appreciate yeah. that yeah. <laughs> all right I'll try to keep it easy um okay I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit so uh the cardinals were once called the browns they were actually called the brown stockings and then they were called the browns and before they were known as the Cardinals, one year in 1899, they were given a different name. Do you know the name of the team? Oh. So Brown, Brown, Brown Stockings, Browns, and then this name for one year, and then the Cardinals. Was it the Perfectos? <laughs> he kills it. Oh, <laughs> That's why I always want him on my team in Trivia Pursuit. <laughs> oh, that's good. Do you, all right. Don't. 
the only reason I say that is they talk about it on the broadcast once in a while up here, and I remember that name, and that's, that's the only reason I, I threw the that perfecto. out there. Yeah. Steel that's a awesome again. team name. It really is. <laughs> I, I can't, I'm, I mean, I'm not surprised he knew that. Well, I'm not either. But, but, Bobby, you look so, I, I was you look so defeated, Bobby. If you can see him now, Mark. It, it, look, Mark is a serious St. Louis Cardinal fan. There ain't no, no doubt, doubt about that. It. Yeah. Perfectos. Yeah, I'm going to call them the Perfectos. I, like I will tell you that they've won 10 in a row. <laughs> and I will tell you they have a four-game lead in the wild card spot right now. Yeah. I know that much to be I've sure. been watching them. So they got they got hot at the right time, but they're going to run into a, a break train in either the Dodgers or the Giants. But, hey, it's been fun baseball the last Baseball. Look at our Mississippi State team. It's about getting hot at the right time. You know, it can happen. Big time. Big time. So much fun. Well, I love baseball. I do too. So awesome. Yep. Well, Mark, we appreciate you being on here, and uh, and look, we root for the Cardinals just for you. Well, I, I'll I'll root for Mississippi State, and Bobby, I'll root for Auburn too. How's that? Uh, uh, no, uh, don't care it that far. Well, look, we enjoyed having you on. Please tell us. I know Terry had a birthday a few days ago. Please tell him we said happy belated yeah, birthday. Please. I will absolutely tell him, and, and I want to tell each and every one of you, we love you so dearly. Miss oh, you and love you. Big time. That sounds great. Thanks, Thanks Mark. So we Thanks, feel Mark. the same way about 24 you 24-7, brother. <laughs> yes, sir. All the time. You guys need anything, please holler. All right. Will. You Thank have a good you. rest of the day. Thank you. We'll okay. see you. Take care. Bye-bye. What a prince of a fellow right there. Yes. So uh, no, the, All of them. Deadly. Yeah. I mean, uh, he just – the difference is that, I mean, he just – Anal details, just details, details. He just doesn't. He's he, a perfecto. Uh, I, I, I have the <laughs> intent, but I just can't even close to hang with him. As far as like, he he has an intent to like spend my year hunting this deer, that deer, that deer, and I never want any of those deer to know I've even gone in after them a single time. That means in the stand, to the stand. From the stand, you know, checking a camera, whatever it takes, you know, he is so anal about the details. I mean, and he never forgets one. And, you know, you can, you, you can all out there go, well, that really doesn't matter by itself. And, you know, maybe that in itself doesn't. And then here's another detail. And here's another detail. You know, making a little noise here or leaving a little scent there or whatever the case. You listen to all the stuff. He's like an encyclopedia. But if, if you pay attention to all the details, it does make a huge difference in your success. And he just doesn't leave them out. He is so anal and particular about every detail of chase, especially deer, in that it is a, a more complex science than turkeys, mm-hmm. to say the least. And yeah. so, you know, and he does go by the gamekeeper philosophy too. He is uh, one of the best in the world. At growing them to start with. So that, yeah, like I said, if you're not there, you can't kill them. He, That's right. It's phenomenal as a gamekeeper. Well, look, so next we're going to call Glenn Garner. Oh, wow. Who speaking, is a, yeah, yeah, speaking our gamekeeper. He's good a really Lord. In the, He's in Georgia, and he, I think he's maybe Bo killed more Pope and Young whitetails in the state of Georgia than anybody yeah, else. He's surprised me. He's a weapon. But he, I mean, you couldn't pick. I dare you to go find two better gamekeepers than the two we're talking to that, today. That's right. One's Midwest, one's in the deep yeah, south. Yeah, but so. they are deadly. Lanny, could you uh, would you could you call Glenn for us? Absolutely. And, then, and Toxie, while he's doing that, I wanted to tell you, I went to the store the other day and, and uh, 
picked up some of the new country DNA. Yes, yeah, I am really cool. so yeah. impressed yeah. with. That. I cannot wait yeah. to hunt. We we'll put a lot of work into that. So it what it's just so the. It kind of it, earthy. It, it's still in that breakup family. Yeah. You can see those shadows. Yeah, it's and earthy. It man, it looks good. So how, how, how long did that? Did you guys work on that? Mm, two years, maybe. It was a dogfight too. I mean, it's just so much of it is just so subjective and trying to totally look through the consumer's prism and not just base it on our own opinion type thing. But we do have an opinion, you know. And it's, so if you have an opinion, base it on what you think everybody wants out there because that's what matters. And but it's. It's a tough process, to be honest with you. There's no hard research science behind it. You just can't. So yeah. at least when we're done, we know it is from us, literally inside here, just us, us only, no help from anywhere else. And it is, it is our representation to the public of what we think will they were like. Well, it is It is a fantastic-looking pattern. Dudley, have you paid any attention to yeah. it? You, it's yeah. incredible, yeah. isn't it? It's, I saw some scent lock. And I was, it, it looked like, I mean, yeah. you couldn't tell the difference in it and laying in. Like anything, really first year, and this, just for people, be patient. And be patient with your favorite retailer, too. Uh, the supply chain and deliveries are horrendous, horrendous around yeah. the world. Just like you can't get a vehicle because you can't get, the vehicle makers can't get chips. So I, my buddy Sonny Jameson the a am dealer here, and he's got a waiting list longer than your arm of people ready to buy, and he can't get them because they can't get the computer chips. The same thing. It's happening in apparel, so be patient. The ones we work with have worked really hard to get stuff there and paid extra money even to get it there for your own time. But it may be a slow go on some of these in the first year or so. Sure. So a guy can go to see what we're talking about. They can go to mossyoak.com, mm-hmm. and then you'll be able to see Country DNA. Mm-hmm. It is a fantastic-looking pattern, the latest offering from Mossy Oak. So, so Lanny, or, or, or where are we with Glenn? Yeah, I was, get, I'm ready to dial him up. All right, bless I will say before he's on, I'll say if he does get on, that you're fixing to hear from a guy who has forgotten more about raising deer and patterning deer and hunting deer than I'll ever know. Yeah, well, he, he's a crump. Oh, he, he is he, a machine. He, he, he really, really is. Here we go. Mahina. Is that Spanish for machine? I have no earthly idea. <laughs> Huh. Hello. Glenn Garner. Yes, sir. All right. <laughs> Glenn Garner, hey, this is Bobby. We got Dudley here and Lanny and Toxin over here. What's up, my brother? Hey, fellas, how y'all doing? Man, we're doing great. Got a little bit of a north wind blowing through today. Got we just had the first, up. yeah, the first, you know, to yesterday was the first day of fall, but it, it the temperature dropped 20 degrees here today for and the first time. And yep. which is awesome. So, What's well, it? it just came through here, so we're actually starting to see that right now, but that front just made it to us. Is your boat, y'all open yet? We are open, yes, sir. I ha- Unfortunately, I hadn't had a chance to even go. We, Of course, like, I don't know, we stayed packed with projects and no different right now but we're trying to finish up actually trying to finish up planting we have uh we've been getting rain almost daily oh it's unbelievable and, uh, we're drowning yeah. over here same here well we got about half of our fields planted already and still have a good bit left to go we'll try to try to get that done hopefully by the end of the week well, how, how do your plots look with all this rain over there, Glenn? I know you planted early. Well, the ones that we did uh, 
plant early look phenomenal. They're coming on strong. Um, so, yeah, I wish we'd have, you know, got them all in at that time. And it's a gamble, you know, yes. trying to go in early, and you never know. Most of the time, I mean, I'm, y'all seen it uh, just like me. I mean, put seed out there, and you wait three weeks on rain. So it's a gamble, but this year, I mean, we've been blessed with the rain. I wish wish it was all done now, but we'll get it. We'll get it. What about the insidious army worm? Have y'all had issues with them yet? You know, I, I saw one the other day, um, huh. about a week ago, but I, it was just, uh, I don't know. I just looked down and saw one, but it did. We had one alfalfa field that got hit pretty good. Um, it was, yeah, it, it got, it pretty much wiped it out, but we just flipped it this year and put it in uh, Clover Plus. So, Yep, we're ready to go with it. We're ready because it's it's the worst uh, straight from the entomologist. It's the worst on record. We just got off the phone with Mark Drury, and it, he's in you know Iowa in northern Missouri, and he's having a spray for him. So, oh really? Yeah, be wow. prepared. Well, we certainly will be. Well, so Glenn, look, we appreciate you being on. We uh, what we talked to Mark, and we asked him kind of what what goes through his mind when he's picking a place to set up on a deer or, or place a stand and that, that stand could be a ladder stand, a lock on or a ground blind. We just, I wanted, you're one of the best in the South, uh, if not the best. And we just wanted to kind of see what goes through your mind when you're, when you're thinking about where you're going to put a stand and see if we couldn't learn something. Well, if you, if you talk to Mark Drury, you couldn't have picked a better one to gather information on stand placement from him. I, I always felt, I think we, pretty much got started in managing um, for deer about the same time, but he always seems to be a step ahead of everybody. So, <laughs> um, But yeah, he well, primarily what for the most part, you know, we, ha- we have to shoot a lot of those here and we concentrate most of our stand placements on food sources for evening hunts um, and back in the Back in the day, I was sitting here thinking a, a bit ago how how easy it was, you know, back when we all first started hunting, how you'd throw on a, a climbing stand and hit the woods and find acorns dropping or persimmon tree dropping, and that's where you're going to be. Um, now, now it's all changed. Just with all the technology and information you can gather on these deer at it almost seems like it's harder to hunt them. Um, <laughs> it's harder to make I'm a decision, that's for sure. It, that's right. Um, I, I will tell you this. One one thing that I um, I always consider and strive for around here is um, wherever my stand is on an evening food plot, I always love to put people out and pick them up and let the truck push deer out um i feel like you know if if you climb down with a field full of deer it, it'll definitely um change their patterns and their movements and um but what we do primarily on our evening fields early season we get a lot of east and southeast wind so you know we set stands up for for that wind primarily just to concentrate on those um, and there again, we'll, 
you know, if we have to adjust, we, we try to keep it for, you know, once the cool weather gets here, we've got stands in place on the same fields uh, for those hot days and, you know, your northeast, northwest winds. Um, but if you want to get into, like, isolating a buck and, and targeting a buck, um, well, that, that can get in depth. So what, what do you guys think or what do you want to talk about? Uh, from that point well no i think i think uh, yeah if you should go at it from hey i found i've got pictures of a deer and i think he's bedding right in here and here's you know how how you go about trying to figure out where you want to set up on a particular deer because i think that's what guys are doing now with all this technology the cameras and whatnot it's easy kind of to hone in on get excited about one or two yeah but there's i mean i'd love to hear it too because there's just certain hard things that are no-nos that you know He's going to tell us about it, I guarantee you, mm-hmm. when you're picking a particular <laughs> there, deer. Yep, um, there certainly are. You, you know, each deer, they're different. Um, each one of them have their own personalities um, and can, sh- can and should be hunted differently. But I think the biggest, uh, the biggest help for anybody, uh, above all, is knowing your property. There's overall traits that deer seem to do and tend to do on certain pieces of property that they might not do elsewhere. Like for us, you know, we have a a huge block of timber uh, on our east side that we're we're a working farm. You know, we're pretty much eight to five daily. Um, And our deer pattern and movement um, will show that. Whereas if you get you know, on our line closest to that big block of timber, they've moved earlier. It's totally different. Um, and so depending on where, if you've got a target buck for, for us, if I've got a target buck, I'll know, you know, with that information, there's a little difference in hunting from one side of the farm to the other. Um, but the the biggest thing for, for me or for us, you know, is, Finding out where he's bedding, uh, and and now with all the the trail cameras availability of the information you can gain from those, uh, you can actually, you know, pretty much pinpoint where he wants to be, where he wants to be, and you stay out of that area. Um, And we won't actually, you know, push in or try to get off the food source and catching him coming to it uh, unless we feel like we've pushed him out of where he wants to feed. So. Um, once we know where his bedding area is at, of course, we tiptoe around that area and we won't go in there. You bump him, you know, especially this time of year, he's gone. Um, but each, like I said before, each deer are different. We've got some that will move a great piece away, like from early season when they shed velvet and the air starts getting thinner, starts cooling off with their already looking and, and they'll start venturing into what their rut zone will be and some of those movements can be uh, um, a vast amount i mean we've seen them up to three miles but each deer is different you know but um we've got one deer this year where we've already we had a group come in early um and i know this deer pretty good we got to know him got to know his, his pattern his habits and where he wants to bed, and uh, we should have killed him opening day. Um, 
but we got a little hair off his back and he seems to be fine now. <laughs> 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 a little hair on the biologic. Yeah. <laughs> Happens. <laughs> that, that, that's true. I should have sent you a picture. There was a good bit of hair on that biologic. <laughs> actually. But, yeah, he was um, just one of those deer that was, um, I mean, you could pinpoint him. He was there every day. Um, we knew his habits from, you know, ever since he was a three-year-old buck, he, he never really changed them. Um, then you've got some. We've got a, a really big deer this year. That's, uh, he's a five-year-old, and as a three-year-old, I had tons of pictures of him. When he shed velvet, he moved, slam off the place. And uh, we didn't see him, didn't have pictures of him. I know where he went. He's with a, a adjoining neighbor that, you know, we talked a good bit. And he had him. And then as a four-year-old, neither one of us had him. He shows back up this year, and he, he's just a giant. And uh <laughs> Those type of deer, you know, your guess is as good as mine. How are we going to try to kill him? Right now, we still have him, and I have two stands set up for him. There's on um, food sources. I know where he's bedding, but I really hadn't figured out how I'm going to get around behind him in case, you know, we don't get him on those food sources. But So, Glenn, the deer that you, uh, that, that one of your hunters, uh, cut some hair off of did that deer i would assume you still got cameras going right there did that deer abandon that spot he did um he jumps out we've got you know the the big creek that kind of runs through the middle of the place uh he was on the north side and, and that's his primary area up there is where he stayed most of his life um last year he summered on the south side of the creek and uh eventually moved just north of the creek, not 200 yards, is where he was rutting um, throughout, I mean, all the way up until December. So this year, he shows back up on the north side of the creek, and he stayed there, and we knew, you know, that's kind of where he locked into, and that's where we hunted him and, and should have killed him. After we skinned hair off of him, he moved 200 yards south of the creek. He's still hmm. still, still daylighting. Um so we still wow. have a good chance. Wow. That, yeah, that's a pretty good gift after uh, haircutting one to, that they're still daylighting. You think he's You think he's a five-year-old? Uh, this year, yes. Yes, he's a five-year-old. Hmm. Yeah. So are y'all sawtooths over there dropping right now? I know you, y'all got a bunch of they, them. They are raining right now. and. Just yeah, you know, we kind of lined our road edges with them. So about twenty miles an hour is fast as you need to run through the farm right now. They are all over. That's good. You know, it's been a. I assume that with all the rain, you guys too. But there, it seems like there's a bumper crop of. Yeah, I've been out just a little finally, and uh, actually went out with the crew. Neil got in here and rallied a crew to do a work day on some stuff and so that's the first time I actually I've been out planting working on food plots and duck stuff and whatever but just got in the woods a little bit and there's you know everything has acorns it's the best like persimmon year I've ever seen in my life mm-hmm. but I mean we've had an irrigated crop all year yeah, too, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's that's crazy. right it I is mean. unbelievable the acorn crop which so, is going to make your uh, day. Acorn- you know, great for a lot of places, but it'll it'll make your deer harder to kill. 
you know, that you hunt over it, food it, plots. Sure. You're right, because it's going to scatter them. They can eat anywhere right now, mm-hmm. that's for sure. So, Glenn, if you got one tip you can leave us with, uh, what is the main thing that you think about when you're in there hanging that stand or ma- making a decision about hanging that stand? or it, Is it get up high? What it, is it just something that you can leave us with or that we can learn from? Well, on height, um, I like being high. I think for me, you know, as long as it's not too high, the higher the better. It just helps you with the scent. Um, and that's the biggest thing is, you know, set control once you're in there. And we get so many variable winds, you know, it's n- never consistent until we get into some hard, colder days. But I, I would um, I would definitely say, you know, on my bedding areas, stay out of those. Um, if you can't kill your big deer on food source early, then uh, cut that distance in half, you know. Try to kill him in transition from bed and cover to yes. the food. Yes. Um, that, that, that's been successful for us in the past. Um, and creating, you know, we've gone as far as to create little food pots, you know, between our main food sources and bed and cover just to kill these big deer in. And that's helped out a lot. Um, something just to, that they feel comfortable coming out in the daylight and will hang around, you know, as just as a staging area. But um, those, what size uh, are those, Glenn? What are you trying to a quarter of an can, acre? Or? They can be yeah, as small as eight tenths, quarter of an acre. Um, but yeah, just something, you know, just as a staging area, they're gonna do it anyway, regardless if the food's there or not. There, you know, a lot of these bigger bigger food pots and bigger bottom fields that we have they they don't like some of them just don't like coming out there until it's dark but they'll pop in these little fields um pretty regular Mm -hmm. that's good that that makes a lot of sense i I know a lot of people hunt you know right on the edge Mm -hmm. of a bedding area or right on the edge of that thick cover and uh if if it's a small piece of property and and you hunt with more than a couple folks you can really booger that up so by By backing up to that that little secondary, you know, transitional food plot, uh, you're hunting a food source, but you're not, you know, if the wind shifts, it's not necessarily going to blow into that bedding. And uh, that's exactly so right. That makes you're a right lot of there. sense. Makes Absolutely. a lot of sense. I was, I, the, the most coveted thing, cousin, I've talked about this forever. The most coveted thing in all of bow hunting is a travel corridor for whatever reason, especially a major travel corridor, because it's, you think about it, you know, probably the best chance, and Glenn, you can, you, you can correct me anytime you want to, but the best chance of killing one's going to be near his feeding area, morning or afternoon, I mean, his bedding area, excuse me, morning or afternoon. But you That's run not. the risk of doing what Glenn said. If you bump that, then you really mess things up. Yeah, I guess you could always start a little further away and, right. and inch your way closer if they're not, you know, yeah, but once you made once you know once, once you've wind, made the mistake, that's right. Once the wind yeah. swirls, you're dead. The other hand, you know, the food source itself. He, uh, honestly, around here, even the food source of uh, dropping acorn tree in most places, if it's not real thick or something, is something they're just not going to be at until dark. But even if you do hunt there, you're going to have to spook everything to get out of there. And you know, once you do that, the mature deer are not far away. They know what's going on. So. 
all I was getting at, if you can find, you know, for everybody out there, if you ever find a really good travel corridor and can hang a stand where, just think about it, you deer can pass by you in multitude every day you hunt it, yet you could get out of there without them knowing you ever hunted them. It's so valuable. That's so, right. you know, the, one of the biggest reasons I've just been so brain dead over the years, looking for food, looking for food, looking for food, you know, occasionally, yeah, back up to a food source. But if you find that travel corridor, that's actually the re- biggest reason to be searching for all this stuff is figuring out where's that travel corridor. Mm-hmm. That's right. And typically, you know, we, we, we do exactly that. You know, we'll inch our way to that bedding area without, you know, getting on top of it right. and having our wind shift and blow in there and blow them out of there. But yeah, you're you're exactly right, and we do concentrate on food early, and then we start um, shifting toward those travel quarters after it starts to cool off, and deer start you know move. you'll catch right. a mature deer in the daylight a lot more times on those travel areas than you will on food. It's amazing that's the same, especially in the south. But I think Mark echoed the same thing. The first, the best chance of catching a mature deer. Out in your food plot is the very beginning of your very first, like, bow season. It <laughs> is. Right. And, you know, that's the best chance you'll have all year. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean it won't happen, potentially, but the odds go down more and more and more as, as the season wears on. Mm. Yep. Well, Glenn. Yeah, exactly right. Glenn, we sure appreciate you being on. I, I, would, I would like to say uh, awesome job on the podcast, guys. It, it's I love it and listen to it all the time. It's real informative, and uh, it, it, y'all make it a, a treat to listen to. Uh, I, I enjoy it. So well, we have a lot of fun. Yeah, we it. do. Thanks, Glenn. <laughs> well, it's a lot of hard work. <laughs> now that, but now that we know you're listening all the time, we'll uh, we'll crack some jokes about you. Too. Yeah, we might. <laughs> you know, it's, it's pretty cool, Glenn, because in the life of our relationship with you and Jeff and everybody, kind of came along right after we started the whole gamekeeper thing. I mean, we had farming for wildlife. We've had biologic since, you know, whatever, 1999 or something like that. But, uh, you know, it's kind of like it came to pass as we all came together. And so um, we still, you know, right, wrong, or different. I mean, uh, I'll make you blush, but we, we use your name as the model gamekeeper guy all the time. And, um, you know, and just like Mark, the thing you got in common with Mark is paying attention to details. The details, all those little bitty details all add up. And I see myself and others making mistakes, don't measure up to like y'all, and we skip the details. I'll skip, you know, things I should do, and I catch myself going, I know better, but I just don't do it. So I would tell everybody what I learned from listening to both of y'all is pay attention to every detail Mm. from soil type to fertilizer to, you know, what you plant, when you plant, you know, and especially with these deer, treat them like kid gloves, don't take anything for granted. You know, that makes a lot You're of exactly sense. You're exactly right. I, I appreciate the compliment. That that means a lot. I really do. Well, yeah. it's, it's warranted for yeah. sure. It, it really is. Glenn, you, so Glenn Garner manages uh, the Fox Worthy Farms over there in South Georgia, and it's a beautiful place. It is mm-hmm. just, it's just incredible. But it Glenn is. himself is one of the best bow hunters that, that, that walking around. He's. A, I don't want him on my place. <laughs> <laughs> I'll invite him because he's a good friend, but he, something's going to die. Yeah. I saw him in elk camp one time. <laughs> and, I mean, he killed an elk in the wide open crawling. I mean, it reminded me of my son, Neil, on a turkey hunt. I mean, he crawled out in the middle of nowhere to kill a big elk. So, 
Oh, fun times. Oh, it has been. Well, yeah, that, 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 you know, y'all and y'all make it fun. I'll say that it's frustrating. I know when equipment doesn't, it breaks down or something like that. But uh, to watch you and Jeff and the way y'all go about with the whole family over there and and the farm, it just it's just kind of what I always talk about the ideal situation. Like when you have a piece of land, it's the, kind of the glue for the whole family, and the family becomes more than your own blood kin too, mm-hmm. like ours is here. And so that's such such a gift. And all of a sudden, the work is, you know, is work, but it's such a joy because you know what you're doing is all kind of connected with nature out there. And so, I mean, I would I would just encourage anybody out there who can find their own place and be able to do that. It's a great way to get through life. It is. That's exactly right. Well said. Yep. Well, hey, Glenn, would you please tell Jeff we said hello? I definitely will. I'll see him in a couple of days. I was thinking to say, if you've got high pressure and your season's open, I'm surprised. Uh, I'm yeah. surprised he's not there he's right now. Up, yeah. Well, speaking of Jeff, I'll throw this out there. I saw on his Instagram page that he's got some concerts coming up. Uh, he's going to be in Tunica. He's going to be in Montgomery. He's going to be a lot of different places. Uh, so if guys will go to the, I think it's at Real Jeff Foxworthy. Just a couple of days ago, he posted his concert schedule. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, he, yeah, I think uh, starting Monday, we got four or five gigs next week. Miami, Tampa, Biloxi, oh, uh, Montgomery. Um, yeah, we, I know you've got a busy, busy fall. Wow. Well, it, if you've never – if you've never, just going to leave off a lot of deer over here that needs to be shot <laughs> if y'all not doing anything. Hey, yeah. careful what you ask for. Yeah, we know how to get over there. Yeah, I do know how to get there, man. <laughs> Uh, if you've never, if anybody out there's never been to scene, you owe it to yourself. It needs to be on your bucket list. It is, no doubt about it. Just take some Zofran or something because you'll laugh so much you'll throw up. <laughs> I mean, I literally have like, I literally, I've literally been going under my breath. Just stop, just stop and cover up my ears because I couldn't take it. It was so funny, I couldn't take anymore. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, He's so, the best. So check it out at Real Jeff Foxworthy and see that schedule. Glenn, we really appreciate you being on here, and we will stay in touch with you this Absolutely. fall. Absolutely. Miss Thanks, you, brother. Glenn. You the man. Right. See you, Glenn. We'll stay, stay safe. Right. All yes, right. Sir. Take care. All right, guys. Well, look, so before we just wrap this thing up, Dudley, I'm going to say we've been going an hour and 15. Let's, let's just hold it as Dudley until <clears throat> right. next time. That'll work. But before we leave, I wanted to ask you guys, what do y'all, what kind of stands are y'all using now? What, what, what do you, <clears throat> Lanny, what do you, oh, uh, I've transitioned, like you know, a drastically. Or a, well, or a, a, a time. <laughs> well, I don't mind you saying a brand. The, we don't have any sponsors, quote unquote, here. I'd like just honesty. And I, I myself have kind of moved to a ladder stand as I've gotten a little bit older. I seem to be a little more comfortable in those. It seems like I've seen you in a redneck blind. I've been in a, yeah, I do love a redneck blind, but I, I've always loved a shooting house now. I'm not yeah. going to lie about yeah. that. But I just, you know, the, there's, I, yeah. there's so many good brands. Millennium is a great ladder stand, a great tree stand, and the Summit products are, are really good. I'm well, there's a bunch of them. Yeah. What, are you, what are y'all? I've made a huge, you know, transition. I mean, Tati, you know, I, I spent a lot of time in lock-ons, spent a lot of time in climbers, you know, early in my hunting career, hunting public land. Uh, and I've, as with kids, I've transitioned to uh, to ladder stands uh, more than anything, although I've spent a whole lot of time in climbers and lock-ons over in the past. So. What about ground blinds? Any of y'all use Love ground them. Not for bow hunting. I just hadn't gotten there yet. Yeah. I know you can. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not bow hunting now. No, I've got a 12 year old with a rifle with me. So <laughs> I've got a 30 year old that kills everything on our place. And he loves a ground blind. He, you know, makes them out of natural stuff and logs and puts them up 
yeah. rushes them in and stuff. I just, I don't know, there's something about hanging on the side of a tree that I love. But I, yeah, for sure at my age, ladder stands, just yeah. to be safe. I'm not saying I don't climb them still, but if I'm buying anything new for me, it's a ladder stand these days. Mm-hmm. And I will say some companies, I'm not calling any names or leave because I don't want to leave anybody out. There are quite a few that have the sticks that are just like a ladder that are very, mm-hmm. very safe. Yeah. Actually, have even a, a you know, a, a, a slant to upper slant to them to make sure they're safe. I was out helping them yesterday because I let the young bucks do the climbing and cutting those stands out and taking the sticks down and hanging stands. And I, I watched like, uh, them being tree squirrels like I used to be. But, uh, you know, just the main thing I would say to everybody we love out there is that the one thing trumps all of these conversations is safety. Yeah. I mean, anything to do with raising deer, big deer, deer of a lifetime. I know people get so glazed over over big bucks and actually act silly about it sometimes. But, man, be safe. Hunt in something safe. Wear yeah. your safety belt. Get the lifeline. Put it up. I do know we've, we've installed those lifelines on all the stands everywhere. Those things are wonderful. Yeah, make a promise to yourself yes. and to your family yes. that you will never leave the ground without having a lifeline or uh-huh. a, a lineman's belt. Yeah, yes. Or yep. if you're climbing, you can slide your, your uh, tether up as you go. You yes. don't have it, to wait till you get But to the even top. that is no excuse for hunting in a known, faulty, old stand because you can still get hurt pretty bad. It may save your life. But you can hurt very bad. Just, just be safe. Be careful. Yeah. You know, take the time to find your spot uh, that is got the cover that has all the elements. You heard these guys as good as they are talking about today, and is safe. Please. Yeah. It, you know what? And there's so many different. If a guy doesn't feel like, he, yeah. you know, he can climb up and get in that lock on like he could years ago, yeah. don't do that, it. I mean, these ground blinds are they're they fantastic. They Maristep, Muddy, those companies are making some really quality they are. stuff. Oh, yeah. they are. There's a the Baronet company's making that gamekeeper blind. It's yeah, big. Yep. That thing's nice. But you can put three or four people in there. So yep. there's there's options. Absolutely, they're, they're really no question side. about it. No question about it. There's still nothing like one, sitting up perched up in a lock on. Neither one of them decked out in mossy oak. It's neither just not. Neither <laughs> one of them talked about something I know for a fact because they're such close friends that they're anal about too, and especially Mark. But both of them, they will put the stand up as soon as they know they're going to hunt there. So I would say if Mark's hunting the stand in September, October, his average time. I wish I had him on to verify this. That he puts that up is probably May. Wow. Or maybe June. And he's he wants to be nothing in there for two, three months. And I'll bet you for the most part, although it's a little tighter configuration where Glenn is, he's close to the same way. So I would just say, um, especially on a ground line or something, do the homework, put it up well ahead of time and let them get used to it. Yeah. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. Then just blow in there. You know, I, I've often found either do that or put it up and hunt the same day you put it up. I've had a lot of luck doing that. Yep. Mm-hmm. If you don't make a lot of noise putting mm-hmm. it up. Yep. Yeah, Lanny totes one where I've seen him toting it around. So. Mm-hmm. Well, look, guys, so the, this podcast has been brought to you by Nosler, and they make some great ammunition. You can go to nosler.com, and uh, I would – look, they make custom ammunition, so you can go on there and – you know how much I love their bullets. I talk oh, about yeah. competition all the time. Iconic so, outdoor bullet brand. I mean, so it's, yeah, it's you, you know, a few dollars more, you can. It's like you're having your own personal guy reload it to your specs. Mm-hmm. It's really incredible. So I would encourage guys to go to nosler.com and check that out. They are some fantastic folks. And 
There Good we go. grief. Y'all made me jump. I thought it was both seats. Everybody, everybody jump. Nobody have a wreck. I was looking <laughs> to see if the window glass broke over there or something. Oh, yeah. I might have been trying to track Mac Mac down. Yeah, Richie, pay attention over here. That's good. Well, look, I've enjoyed it. I think we've learned something. Yeah, I did for sure. Yeah, we sure so. I always learn from those learn. too. Yeah. Well, so why don't we wrap this one up? Won't you say goodbye, Dudley? Goodbye, Dudley. Get us out of here, Richie. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine. And don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.